and welcome to the Vergecast. You might detect a slight echo in the room. A frisson. The sound of money, if you will. <laughs> Uh, the Vergecast is going to be recording we're in an extraordinarily fancy ballroom at the Terranea Resort because we are at the Code Conference. So I'm here. I'm Neil Patel. Dieter Bone is here. Yeah, this room is making us very like chill and like. I'm going to order some people to be killed in this yeah. room. <laughs> uh, Casey Newton is here. It is so nice to be here with so much money around <laughs> us. Lauren Good is here. It is so nice to be here with the sound of crashing waves outside of the door. Yeah, let me just describe this room to you. We're in the top floor of the Terranea Resort, and we're literally gazing. It's two walls of windows. We're in like the corner boardroom, uh, and it's just the ocean spreading out in front of us. But that's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> we're here to be talk about technology, culture, power. Those who wield it, those who want it. But certainly if you have questions about the boardroom, then you should get at us on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the ocean. There's a sharp Aquos TV in the corner. It's a beautiful room. Uh, but if it sounds a little different, that's actually why I'm explaining this to you. If it sounds a little different or echoey, it's because we're on the road this week uh, in this opulent room at this opulent conference. It's been a great code conference. Yeah. Um, a lot of things happened. We should just get into the news. The biggest news of the week, I, I think. For us, anyway. For us personally, is that Casey asked the CFO of Twitter <laughs> when the hell he's going to be able to edit tweets. Listen, Neil, there's a movement in this there's country. There's not a movement. You can, you can hear it is on there? the streets. Listen, you know, after the you election... You can hear it in these tweets. After the election, everyone was like, where were all these Trump photos? We never heard from them. After they introduced editing tweets into Twitter, it's going to be the same thing. People are going to be like, we didn't realize we wanted this as much as we actually did. And uh, No one says that about Trump. And I think you can just uh, look forward to some changes. But let me tell you what I did. Okay. So as you may know, I have been on a years-long campaign to uh, let us be able to edit tweets. I've made the case for editing tweets on TheVerge.com where I've sort of laid out my case. I won't repeat it here. Uh, also, it's self-evident why we should be able to edit uh, any text that we write. Um, <laughs> but also... Is that true? Uh, I had a real opportunity. <laughs> Imagine Casey, uh, if he were born in like, you know, 1600, just railing against ink on vellum and why I somebody wouldn't. must invent the pencil. We must be able I to just had, the Usually words. the words self-evident are like preceded by we hold these truths <laughs> and then like followed by all men are created equal, not we should be able to edit all text. That we Listen, read. if you saw the faves I get on my tweets about editing <laughs> tweets, you'd be telling a different story. But here's what I can tell you. Anthony Noto, the CFO of Twitter, was the uh, penultimate speaker at the Code Conference. Yeah. And uh, one of the cool things about the conference is that the uh, random uh, straggler audience randos like like me can just get up and ask questions. Yeah, yeah. And so I strolled to the microphone. I was the first question. You didn't stroll. No, no, hang on, hang on. No, he ran. You he tripped over my feet in Dieter's. You to definitely get there. sprinted. You, what might even say? Like you traipsed. Like that, you just you just you just yeah. went. I went for it. His hair got there like seventeen <laughs> seconds before the rest of him did. But the good news is, I was able to say, you know, Anthony, uh, there's this growing movement to to let us be able to edit our tweets. Uh, you know, can I count you as a supporter? And then he talked for three minutes um, about essentially that Twitter continually evolves its product and it appreciates its passionate users. And then he sort of stopped talking. That was a prepared text because he yeah. he knew it would come to this space where they know that you are. Yeah. They monitor Twitter.com. You've been tweeting from here. They know your location. I got, I got back channel afterwards that Noto had been prepared for this exact question. Of and course. that it would be coming from Because they know that you're here. Yeah. Uh, and so anyway, so he, he gave me a non-answer. And then I said, 
uh, thank you. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and mark you down as a supporter. And then he laughed and said nothing more. So I think that tells us something <laughs> that, that within Twitter, there's a growing acceptance of the inevitability of editable tweets. Yeah. The biggest news of the week. Uh, by far. And that was the Roachcast. Yeah. <laughs> nothing else <laughs> listening. Uh, I don't think Noto said anything else really of import. He said so, a bunch of stuff about live TV. Yeah. He wants to fill the space. Well, he, he made the claim that the reason Twitter is getting into video is because it increases like viewership and engagement with tweets. That people tweet more and read more tweets when they're watching video. And so they just put it right there on the platform. But at the same time, he also made like another claim that like the you know even a huge increase in like that is like doesn't affect their like overall numbers on the bottom line so like i don't know they they've got this whole story that they're telling now that for the first however many years of twitter's existence we didn't know what it was and we decided we know what it is now we figured it out last year we know what twitter is an uneditable text <laughs> it's publishing a, platform a, <laughs> we have a four point description of what twitter is for and That's anytime better. anybody wants us to do anything we decide whether or not it'll help one of those four things and then we say yes or no what's better than dick costello's like inception style bubbles upon bubbles chart what was that it was crazy oh like the four quadrants of doom yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was a bad uh, moment in, in twitter history i do think that they are uh, closer to arriving at, at what they want it to be i think the question will just be is there actually a good business yeah. here Look, there's a whole conversation we could have about the number of people who stood on stage here at Code and talked about video and phones. Mm -hmm. But that conversation is boring because <laughs> it's just like it's interesting a little bit. But like it was a definitely an underlying current, right? Like the shift in media. But whatever. Yeah, I don't video want, in general. I want video to talk, is a thing, guys. Video is a whole thing. You've heard and, it here. And that's why you're listening to this internet radio show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the biggest news here. Uh, for us, yeah, was the essential phone. The essential phone, and I got to tell you, Dieter, just Bone call it phone. I was going to call it the e-phone. Is that not kosher? Uh, its actual name is His PH dash one. Really? PH dash one. Yeah. I thought that he said on stage it's just called the phone. Yeah, but it's like model, but number like PH dash one. Spell out one. Well, now I just want to Fun. jump off this balcony into the beautiful ocean. <laughs> but I want to hear the story. So so Andy Rubin's on stage the other night, and he reveals this phone yep. to Walt Mossberg, who was he interviewing does. him. But then afterwards, Dieter Bone, executive editor of The Verge, who's sitting right across from me, chases... It's, Tell tell us how you got your hands on this phone because it, we think you, you're the only person in the industry who's had in the press Walt. industry and Walt, Walt is, who's yeah. actually played with the phone. Yeah, but uh, Walt's retiring, so he's out. So you're the only <laughs> one left. Uh, just the old school gadget hustle. Like if you look at the pictures, they're real bad because I'm not a good photographer. Uh, they're like in a, literally a hotel hallway. It was like, you know. Talking to the people at at Ruben's company and like where you at? Like we should we should hang out. Around a hotel, following like him around a hotel room, uh, having like he's literally like trying to pack his bags to leave to fly away from this place. And I'm like, no, no, let me take some pictures. He's like, okay, and then I'm like, okay, I gotta find some place to take good pictures. Well, I can't. So here it is in my hand. <laughs> There's a, some hotel carpet behind it. Click, 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 click. Yeah, which is a thing we used to do all the time. Yeah, um, like literally all. The I time. am Mr. Blurry Cam. Yeah. I thought the photos I'm, were I can wonderfully now evocative of a time and a place. I instinctively <laughs> texted Joanna Stern to tell her to fix her white balance. Because that, <laughs> because 
wait, wait. That Dieter happened took these... the photos and you texted no, Joanna? Whenever there were bad white balance photos on Engadget, it was always Joanna. That feels like a weird form of referral anger. Like, <laughs> Dieter, you did the photos. No, Joanna, just like, fix I, your white balance. I would just see photos with like off white balance and it would always be Joanna. And I'd be like, fix your white balance. So I saw that. Anyway. Um, it was just a referral burn. That's all that was. So yeah, I don't know. It's a phone. Yeah. Like, let's well, go through it. Okay. So the 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 thing that everybody sees on the phone right away is that the screen is bezel-less except for the bottom. There's a strip, and then the top it literally wraps around the front-facing cam, so it looks like a the little one-eyed minion. Basically. It's very basically. Um, when you hold it and look at it, like your eyes just go straight to that dead zone on the screen. Just like, really? ah, nah, <laughs> constantly. Um, but then after like literally a minute, it, you, you do stop doing that and it doesn't feel weird to have a weird gap in the middle of the top of the screen. And I do think it's smart. Like when you look at an Android phone, there's never anything there. Right. It's always like notifications on the left, status crap on the right. And there's like an empty space there. So sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's fine. Uh, it doesn't wrap around the edges, you know, it's whatever. Um, the titanium, I don't know, like it feels like metal. It's But then there's also ceramic. ceramic in it. Yeah, yeah so the back, ceramic? the back is ceramic and there's a OnePlus ceramic phone that's ceramic. Um, ceramic is really good at like resisting scratches. It's really hard. It just feels like glossy glass, and basically. And you don't need antenna lines. And you don't need antenna mm -hmm. lines. Although there are antenna lines on the titanium. There's like a couple of lines on the on the edge. Oh, um, interesting. I thought he said that you didn't need any type of Band-Aid. Well, I mean, this was like a, this it. was literally like, it was a, uh, what's it called, DVT unit. Oh, okay. Uh, so like, the, I, one of the photos I like blurred out like the code number. Like there were, there were numbers all along this thing. Every piece of the phone had some code on it to like tell you, identify it for you and whatever. I will just say like, we should get into like the, why the phone is interesting or not interesting, but just having held the hardware, it feels, um... Like, imagine if you took a iPhone and put, like, a perfectly square case on it. Yeah. Like, it, the edges aren't, like, sharp, but the thing just feels kind of, like, blocky. And people may hate it. I don't know. It's not, like, super thin. Uh, and but, that's not because it was a prototype. That this no, it's just, it's just, all, it's just like, it has an like aesthetic this. of, like, I am kind of blocky. Yeah. I am not trying to be curved and rounded and smooth and whatever. It's just like, nope, I'm I am a I am a rectangle and I am perfectly happy being a rectangle. Yeah. That's the that's essential shape of a phone. Yeah. It's a whole there it is. But essentially, what was I'm just kidding, I'm gonna say that as many times as I possibly can in the segment. Uh, what was the UI like based on your It's Android. It's just it. Android. So you swipe through, everything looks like Android. Yep. There was no skin, there was nope, nothing nothing. I mean there was there was also nothing on it. It was like like they, the thing booted and like had Android. I didn't, I only had a couple of minutes to be like, here it is, it's Android, but I like couldn't like hunt for software. I couldn't like, you know, attach any Pogo the pins. Accessories. I was, I saw the Pogo pin 360 camera. Yeah. Um, and I said, let me do that. He's like, we're leaving now. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's talk about it. So that, that, that's like the phone. There's the hardware. Yeah. You're literally, uh, we think it's Dieter and Walt who have held it. Well, who aren't, who don't work at essential. Yeah. Um, and you know, presumably like, random carrier people. Right. Like some mid-level marketing manager at Sprint is listening to this being like, I've held it. I um, know. Well, we asked all the carriers, are you going to support the phone? And Verizon was like, yeah, it'll work, whatever. And T-Mobile's like, everything works with T-Mobile. We're the best. Yeah. Um, and AT&T <laughs> was like, T-Mobile did another shot of tequila and <laughs> continued screaming into the night. 
AT&T uh, asked us why we thought that we were allowed to talk to them at all because they're AT&T. I don't know. They just, <laughs> it'll work there. And yeah. Sprint was like, yeah, it'll totally work on our network and we'll have more to say later. Yeah. Which I just want to point out that it has become obvious to me that I have a soft spot for phones that are probably going to fail. <laughs> Right. Also, uh, maybe Chromebooks. And yeah, yeah also Chromebooks. Uh, and if you want, like, the definitive like example of a phone that is very cool and interesting, and exciting, and innovative, and like just everything seems great, uh, it would. I'm gonna say it, it'd be the WebOS, you know, Palm yeah. Pre, and it launched on Sprint. Yeah. And uh, it, there's a little bit of deja vu in my head right yeah. now. Uh, yeah. 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 I was like, who is going to buy this thing? Wait, we need that, to just go through all of oh, this sorry. stuff. There's like, I like wanted the to phone start with actually, Dieter holding it yeah. because that's like exclusive. The phone is, if, in theory, the phone should be the least interesting thing that Andy Rubin is trying to do with this company. Right. So he's got the phone. <laughs> and that's $700. And it's $700 and it's, it comes in colors. All the colors of the rainbow. Four colors. Four colors of the rainbow. <laughs> One of which is matte. The rest are glass. My favorite color of the rainbow, matte. <laughs> also, matte like bronze. Is a color? I don't think bronze uh, is a <laughs> like a I dude. Mean, <laughs> <laughs> this is my friend Matt, who's now available as a color. I'm going to put matte as like the color of my eyes on my driver's license. My color, matte. Oh, it's, look, it's been a really long three days. Uh, it's just. I remember last time we did this was like at night last year. Like, you know how every phone, every company, when they like release the colors of their gadget, the colors all have ridiculous names. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and like Google made their jokes with like, this one's really blue or whatever. Like, but they're always like ice this, you know, yeah. I don't know, charcoal that, whatever. Space gray. What if we, they just gave the colors names? This is Matt. <laughs> He's <Eve>. white. <laughs> Jenny. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, so there's the phone. <laughs> Jenny's Dieter's really enjoying this. Yeah. <laughs> there's, we have to stop. Well, you know, the names, the names of colors are inherently arbitrary. Anyway, right. like blue could just be George. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Anyway, what is truth? Um, the Vergecast, everybody. Uh, so there's the phone. Yeah. Then there is, and it's. The phone is, like you said, among the least interesting. Then there's a home device yep. called the Essential Home, yep. which is a round puck with a, a huge round display, which we think might be the biggest round display available in consumer electronics. Correct. Um, that runs Ambient OS, yep. which Andy and Walt clearly had some sort of like mind meld because Walt's last column was about ambient technology. And then Andy Rubin came here and released Ambient OS. Yeah. So he was very happy to latch onto that. Ambient OS sound. I'm just going to say this. Sounds very promising. It also sounds like the ravings of a fucking madman. <laughs> like, like the way Are you it's gonna described. you going to make me read their description? Yeah. Of it? The All way right. it's described on the website, it's like, it's an API to your home. It turns your home into an application. Your home is an API and you are an application. You are but one feature of the API that is the application of the universe. Like, it's just everything. And this is exactly how normal people talk to each other in middle America. <laughs> yeah. when, they, when they walk into Home Depot or Best Buy, they're like, what's going to make me feel like an API today? <laughs> Give it to me immediately. Well, here's a bad sign. Uh, Essential.com is not loading. That's great. Um, but the, the point of the Essential Home device and the Ambient OS as near as we can tell, because there's no demos, there's just one screenshot yeah. of the device running Ambient OS, 
And all that screenshot is, is a huge modal dialogue box that says, leave now. <laughs> because it's like a proactive we have a, we have a reminder picture. for you to like go to the airport. We have a picture leave of a music now. interface. There's, there's a picture of a, a music interface. It's got like a, a volume oh, yeah, thing around the, a circle in the middle for some reason. Um, yeah. But Ambient OS, it's fundamentally supposed to, and I don't know how they're going to do this, tie into every other smart home device that you own. Yep. And then somehow tie into all of the other smart platforms that exist, like HomeKit and SmartThings and Alexa. And that mechanism is completely unclear. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. he, the, on stage, uh, when Walt was interviewing him, he he basically said, like, there's too many UIs. There's too many standards, so I'm making another one. Yeah. Um, but he he wants to be the the person who, like, abstracts all of the crap that you have to deal with at a smart home and, like, make the layer that just has them all talk to each other. You know, it's like it's like Synergy in WebOS. Yeah. It's, it's going to fit. <laughs> Back to the WebOS comparison. It's, it's also, wasn't there an emphasis on privacy as well? Yeah, and the, uh, that, the pri- that, what exactly he means by being more private is super unclear. It's really, really unclear. Like, there was something, I don't know if we wrote this, to be honest, or this is in the language somewhere on the site, I'm not remembering at the moment, but um, something about keeping more of the data on device rather than in the cloud, yeah. but I don't see how that's... I just don't see how that's possible, and I also don't see how it's total. It's going to be possible. To He's also going to open the source the ambient OS, right? Um, yeah. So the the third piece of this, or fourth piece of this, so we've got the phone, we've got ambient OS, we've got the what do we call this thing? Is it a smart speaker? Is it a? It's like yeah. a puck, a smart speaker, but it's got a display. We need a new word for this. These things that have displays, because there's smart circles. Yeah, well, there's the Amazon one. That's a square. Intelligent ellipses. I think we should just all call them Matt. Matt, <laughs> Jenny, Jenny, George, Seinfeld characters, Elaine, just get in there. Thinking of, like speaking of like things that like prove that this is actually going to work, is he's trying to create an ecosystem of modules that will attach to the phone and possibly the speaker or like your wall, right? And the 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 linchpin of this is he he did two things, um, both of which are like very pragmatic. Mm-hmm. The first thing that he did is. Uh, for wireless communication, he's using basically wireless USB. So everybody knows how to code to USB to communicate. So that's simple. So that's better than like what Google was doing with like their early versions of Project Aura, like these like insane magical future whatevers uh, for wireless you know data. Um, and then the second thing he's doing is like they don't you don't have to stick a battery in every single one of these things because that sucks. You have to charge it. So <laughs> he's using pogo pins, yeah. and then magnets to like hold them on. So yeah, yeah there's, there's like, we're, we're entering a world of pogo pins. Yeah, they're little, if you don't know what a pogo pin is, they're just little spring-loaded guys. Yeah, just little there's dudes. There's two on the back, there's two receptacles in the back, and the pins are on the thing, and they clip in, Yep. and they give power to the device, and he went on this whole speech about how, I don't need to put a Wi-Fi chip in here, I don't need a battery in here, so my 3.6 camera only costs 50 bucks, and it worked, it worked pretty well. Yeah. He's also um, being very careful not to call it mods or wasn't really saying modular. It was more, they call that part of the phone the accessory bus, the wireless accessory yeah. bus. Um, and was it you that asked actually, Dieter, um, about modularity? Someone got it up and me. asked him, yeah, it was yeah. you about modularity yeah. and how it hasn't really taken off. Um, and he and Ruben did say that he plans to make the first five or six, they plan to make the first five or six accessories to get people started on yeah. it. 
Because my I, thing that, is like I can't think of more than two mods. I can think of like camera and speaker and ba- an extra battery is okay. usually yeah. yeah. But otherwise, yeah. I mean, once you start getting into like, and this can also be a projector, and right. your friends will come over and you'll project from your phone to. Here's a hook like, to mix your so, dough. <laughs> you guys, like, pasta the, maker, pasta extruder, I know waffle the, iron. The the only consumer product that built a successful ecosystem of external modules that you clicked onto the thing and you're just gonna freaking hate me to for saying this but it was the handspring visor <laughs> that's because one of the mods was a cellular radio yes all of the, all of the mods <laughs> it's it the one that turned it into a no, and that's literally what the first trio was was a handspring visor with a mod yeah. you couldn't take off um the but all of the mods on the visor were cell phone mp3 player yeah. storage they were apps modem right they were they're things that just became apps on a phone. I don't know. There's a bunch of stuff that's like coming for like Moto Mod, uh, but like th- that's like you know physical keys. So I, I actually, I put the, this on a rundown. It's funny because he announced the essential phone, he announced a modular phone with this thing, and he announced his ambient OS, which the phone is real. Like it, it's a thing. Dieter held it. It runs Android. We know what Android phones are. Yep. An Android phone with a funky screen design and a modular accessory ecosystem is not like he'll ship the phone. Yeah. He, he said he it was says he's going to ship it within 30 is, days. I don't um, everyone at code was going to get a free one. Like he's that confident. Yep. About it. Um, then there's this ambient OS thing, which seems like insane vapor to me. That's just me. Then there's like an assistant that he's doing that yeah, runs an ambient an OS and on the phone. Yeah. And so the reason that he's making the phone is because he wants to put his assistant in people's pockets, basically. And that was fundamentally his reason to make the phone. But at the same time, today we reviewed the Moto, what is it? Z2 Z2, Z2, yeah. That's a terrible name. This is just awful. Um, but that's a phone with a modular accessory ecosystem that people quite like. Like Dan yeah. really liked the first one. And then Samsung today announced a new SmartThings hub that is actually a mesh Wi-Fi router, which is the combination of things that everybody's always wanted. Yeah. And SmartThings purports to interface with everything in your home yep. and be the bridge on top of all of it. Mm-hmm. W- what is new? What like what is he bringing to the table here that Motorola and, and Samsung are on like generation two and three of these products already? It's well, and like, and, and what, one of the things I've been wondering is why announce all these things at the same time, right? Like if you were just excited about the phone, why not announce the phone? Because I think when you unveil all of these things simultaneously, it just sort of raises the question of, how baked is all this stuff? Like, it just seems incredibly ambitious for a relatively small company that hasn't been working on it for all that long. See, I actually disagree with that a little bit because I think the way that Ruben presented it was he went through like a little bit of the progression of computing over the past few decades and then ended up, you know, as he was talking to the crowd at Code Conference the other night, ended up at, okay, so what's post-mobile? And I think if he had just showed up with a mobile phone at that point, it would have been sort of like, okay, so what's post-mobile is another mobile phone. And it's on right. Android. Got yeah. it. Yeah, cool. but then also, why make the phone the centerpiece of your announcement? You know, like because uh, like, it's the thing that's done. <laughs> but not why not wait? Like, at, what's yeah. the point of shipping this phone? Why not ship the other device? So anyway, I think the reason that he introduced five things at once was that even if n- any individual one of them didn't have any real innovation, you sort of present them all together, and it kind of seems like this complete thought. Uh, but as you know, Neilai, it just seems like a lot of stuff other people have done. Right. But what he's saying. Um, actually, Josh Sapolsky is like, why are you doing this? And he's like, we want to be a big consumer electronics company that puts the user first. And that's kind of where the privacy thing comes from. Um, and he was like, we've raised multiple hundreds of millions of dollars. And then 
while he was saying that, he was making a three with his hand. Oh, really? He's holding up three fingers and like, like he's like multiple and like winking. Well, I think he had explicitly said at one point that his fund, the Playground Global Fund, had raised three hundred million dollars. Yeah. No, but his fund is an investor in Essential. I don't. It's, oh, yeah. Okay. There's a whole thing yeah, where like that, he, right. He he was he just said Essential had multiple hundreds of millions of dollars. Okay. And he was like waving his hand around. Yeah. Who knows what signal he was. Maybe he was just trying to get his people to like get him off the stage. <laughs> he's like, if I flash three, like, uh, anyway, but he's like, we've ra- they've raised obviously a lot of money, uh, and they want to be a big player, and yep. they think they're going to ramp over time, and so like, sure, announce all the things. I just the vibe afterwards, just from talking to the code attendees, was what was the point of this? People were very down on it in a way that I that I actually thought was surprising, which is interesting. It's like weird because the attention on our site, the traffic to these posts on our site was like skyrocketing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the man that was like the most popular post of the month and, and mm-hmm. people love Android. Right. And so the idea that the founder of Android has a big new idea, like there are very few verge stories that are going to be more interesting to our audience. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I just, I think we're just still kind of, he also still had some choice words to say about Android. Right. Which right. is that mm-hmm. the phones are all bad. Yeah. Which was an amazing thing to hear the co-founder of Android say. Right. And, and say basically in those words. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. like, I don't like any of them. I have them all and I don't like any of them. Uh, and then he was like, technology is like too complicated and it's my fault because I made Android. Yeah. It's going to make a great iPhone commercial this fall. <laughs> <laughs> just a clip of Andy <laughs> Rubin talking about what he unleashed on the world. And then just an Apple logo. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, it, I think he was trying to indict iOS in that as well, right? He's like, yeah. there's not a lot of choice in the market. There's not a lot of innovation. Yeah. And when there is, it's too complicated. And he talked about overload too. Like this, uh, fatigue is the word he used actually. Just there being too many devices in yeah, general. Yeah, but he, if he thinks that like there were unintended knock-on consequences to the mobile revolution that he helped start by creating Android. Sure. What has he actually presented in this phone, I would say very little, or in his overall vision that solves that problem. I mean, it sounds like what he wants is to build an AI that talks to everything for you. Yeah. It's just a very tall order. And he, like Apple is not going to give him HomeKit and Siri access. Yeah. It's just, they're just not, that's not how they operate. Um, it sounds, Amazon will give Alexa access to virtually anyone. And he brought up that the Alexa team had already been talking to him and they're very supportive of him. So like maybe that will happen. Yeah. Um, I, you pretty, know. pretty good shot. He'll get the Google Assistant. Yeah, he knows a guy. Yeah, over there, <laughs> <laughs> like that'll be fine. Um, but like, it's it, it's just a lot of the same. Yeah, you know, I think like the more interesting, um, uh, an interesting comparison to make here is Tony Fidel, who also wanted to start a big consumer brand. And what did he do? Did he come in and be like, "Well, I, I helped invent the iPhone, and so here's my next phone"? No, he's like, "I'm going to reinvent the thermostat." And then all of us are like, "Huh?" And then we looked at it, and we realized that thermostats are terrible. He winds up inventing this whole new category. Nest is a, a big success. <coughs> is you it know. what? Well, until Hold until on. Google bought it. I'm, I'm just saying, like, sort of <laughs> within the first two years, right? Everybody yeah. was pretty excited about Nest. If um, uh, if Ruben had gone out and sort of found some other gadget that either needed to be reinvented or hadn't been invented yet and showed up with that, even if it seemed like it was in a niche category, I think we'd all be sitting around the table saying, you know, this might not seem like the most exciting thing, but, you know, if it takes off, it's going to give him the runway he needs to sort of develop this full suite of consumer products. Like, I think that's a more tried and, te- uh, and tested approach to building a consumer brand than I'm going to reinvent five categories simultaneously yeah. in ways that don't actually look like reinventions. Yeah. What if he had come out and presented a TV 
Okay. I keep thinking about what Reed Hastings said about like someone asked if he was going to um, ever make a Netflix or ever, excuse me, ever launch a Netflix line of movie theater chains. And he said, no, I would, you know, and that's a TVs are getting so good. Right. Which is sort of in conflict with what he said earlier about how people will still go to the movie theaters for whatever reason. Uh, but, uh, but like imagine if Andy, anyway, imagine if Andy Rubin had just like got on stage and I was like, here's the essential TV. I'm kind yeah. of into that. Like everybody will tell you, you can't make money's in, t- in money in TVs, but like I would be, I would be really interested to see Andy Rubin's take on a TV just because there's so little innovation in that category. I have watched so many TV devices get launched on Sage at Code that have all died. Yeah. <laughs> you don't do that. If you're listening to this and you're like, oh, that sounds like a good idea, just stop. Just stop listening. I want you to keep listening to the broadcast. I we appreciate your support, <laughs> but I'm saying if that sounds like a good idea, turn this show off, take a fucking break, take a cold shower, <laughs> come back to us. We'll be we'll be waiting. It's on demand. Savage. Um, <laughs> All right, we got to read an ad. We got other stuff to talk about, but we're presumably getting the phone soon. Presumably, because they're supposed to ship them in thirty days. Yes, mm-hmm. um, we're presumably going to see much more of this ambient OS. I got yep. the branding is great, right? Like we had a, a story stream on the site that was like all of the essential phone news, and I was like, well, at least they got that. Um, and it's interesting. I, I, Andy was not like a super charismatic presenter of this stuff. But just the interest from our audience, it was like a it was a delightful break from like Trump news on Twitter for like a little bit. All anyone was talking about was a new cell phone. And it was because Dieter took medium to bad photos in the hotel hallway. <laughs> sorry. And I was like, this is 2010. Like, yeah. I'm I'm back. Yeah. Um, anyway, let me read this ad. Uh, it is unsurprisingly for Squarespace, who are great. This episode of The Verge Cast is brought to you by Squarespace. Uh, whatever your next big idea might be, count on Squarespace to help you create an eye-catching online platform that brings it to life. Whether you need a portfolio to showcase your work, a store to sell your products and services, or a blog to share your ideas, Squarespace gives you everything you need to look like an expert right from the start. You even get a unique domain, which strengthens your brand and makes it easier for visitors to find you. Plus, with Squarespace's award-winning templates, creating a beautiful website is simple and intuitive. You can add and arrange your content and features, the click of a mouse, there's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. But if you do have a question, Squarespace has award-winning 24-7 customer support that can help you with any problem, no matter how technical or trivial. It's like your very own IT department. So make your next move. Start your free trial at squarespace.com today. Uh, in, you enter offer code VERGE, get 10% off. That's VERGE, V-E-R-G-E. So go to squarespace.com. Enter offer code Verge, and you get ten percent off your first purchase. Squarespace, you're in a hotel ballroom. <laughs> so I don't think that's their tagline. Interesting new direction for their <laughs> their marketing. It's like a VR play. <laughs> Squarespace, where are you now? <laughs> Look around on the web with templates. Hello, this is Paul Miller coming at you live with Gadget Hot Takes. Uh, there is so much going on in the gadget world, and you know I'm happy for everybody who got to listen to uh, uh, very smart, intelligent executives talk about the future. But um, the present is gadgets, and there's uh, so much happening. Computex was this week. Uh, there's all these crazy laptops and video cards and motherboards. All the new motherboards that support the new. Uh, Intel processors are out, the X299 motherboards. It's so exciting. You have to go to theverge.com slash circuit brick. I don't normally tell you to do this, but it's really important this week because it's it's gadget week, let me tell you. Uh, but every week I do a segment, and it's called Let Me Hug Your 
Robot Heart. And um, this week on Let Me Hug Your Robot Heart is, uh, uh, I don't know, it's it's maybe the pinnacle of Indiegogo. Uh, you know, it, it's that classic, couldn't cut it on Kickstarter, had to put it on Indiegogo so we get the money no matter what because we're kind of scammy. Uh, but maybe we're just really passionate about this and we want it to succeed. I don't even know. I, I really don't know. This this company called Kalium Kalium Labs, uh, it's with a K, uh, they made the Sound Heroes Bluetooth speaker, which is a Bluetooth speaker that is a statue of a robot that looks like it's from out of a video game. They're basically trying to make their own, like, imagine they tried to license, like, the Silver Surfer or Thor or something, you know, like a real a real IP and put Bluetooth speakers in the chest and then have them stand on a, on a plate that is a, a subwoofer. And by the way, this figurine is like three feet high, but they couldn't get the IP. So they're like making their own IP. They've got like a video game tie in. They're like making a comic book about this robot. Uh, yeah, Sound Heroes. But there's only one hero and it's this large polygonal robot-like thing that doesn't do anything except have, like, laser eyes. Uh, the big There's a big and a small version. The big version is, like, 280 bucks. It's probably the best way to spend your money on Indiegogo right now. It's funded, of course. Uh, it's very exciting. And, yeah, that's Let Me let me Hug Your Robot Heart, a segment I do every week without fail. Have have a good time. And uh, on the West Coast, touch the ocean. So you were talking about Netflix. Uh, Reed Hastings was here. Uh, he said some interesting things about net neutrality. There's actually a bunch of like policy news, right? Uh, Hillary Clinton was here at Code. We should talk about that. She talked a lot about how content had been weaponized on the, by the internet, which is interesting. Um, and then Lauren Paula Jobs was here with Senator Kamala Harris, talked about education. But let's start with Reed. Lauren, do you want to go through what he he talked? He talked about movie theaters. He talked about he did. He talked about uh, windowing. Mm -hmm. which, um, you know, is something that Netflix has talked about a bunch before. Netflix essentially believes that movies should be available on Netflix for streaming the same day that they are released in theaters and has advocated for that. Um, a lot of you probably know this, but if not, there's a, you know, there's a kind of a dark zone in the movie industry uh, where there's a window of generally 90 days. It's getting a little bit shorter in some cases, but 90 days where um, between the time that a movie is released in theaters and that it becomes available for first DVD and then home home rental. And so Netflix deals with that, right? And even though Netflix has all this great original content that they're making and stuff like that, they still, of course, would like faster access to uh, to movies. But it's hard to crack sort of the traditional distribution standards. So uh, he spoke a lot about that. He said this interesting thing where he believes, uh, I'm not sure he actually believes this. I think maybe he was being diplomatic, but he believes that if the window is shortened and Netflix gets movies right away, that people will still go to theaters because he likened it to, uh, well, I mean, uh, people know how to cook. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. People know how to cook, but they still like go out to dinner with friends because it's like this communal experience, uh, which I mean, personally, if I had access to a brand new movie like John Wick 3, uh, the moment that it came out on Netflix, I'm pretty positive I would never go to a movie theater. Yeah. Um, and especially for people with kids who for them, like going to the movie theaters involves like either getting a sitter or buying four or five tickets. And like it becomes this very sort of complicated and expensive proposition. Uh, it's hard to like imagine. But 
Also, when you go to a restaurant, someone else makes the fucking food for you. Right. Like the the comparison (laughs) is not really apt because the convenience actually is going out to dinner with friends uh, as opposed to like doing the dishes at home. But so we talked about that. And then he did get into net neutrality, which was sort of what we were waiting for. And then Dieter, you wrote about that Uh, specifically how he's he's kind of deprioritizing. He's explicitly deprioritizing. He's basically like, look, when we were small and scrappy, it it was an existential problem for us. And so we... uh, we're big warriors to save net neutrality. Now that we're big and powerful and we can get all the deals we want, it's not my problem. Somebody else carry that water. Yeah. I think he literally used the phrase carry the water. He said carry the water. He said we're big enough so that we can get the deals that we want. Yeah. He said we yeah. wrote a piece ages ago. Jake wrote it for us uh, where they he just charted Netflix public statements against on net neutrality against its subscriber count. Yeah. And you, it's just like they just got cooler, and by the end they're like really big, and they're like, yeah, great, whatever, whatever you idiots want to do, yeah. it's fine by us. We're Netflix. Um, to me, that's the whole argument of why you want net neutrality, because Netflix is basically saying we can do whatever we want because we're big, because we're big, mm-hmm. and little guys. You're on your own. The yeah. the last the, the crackle team is like, well, we still need it. Yeah, we we're crackle. Oh, so the the last <laughs> interview at Code here was with Steve Case. By the way, crackle burn will always uh-huh. get Casey. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> Although Netflix's argument for doing some of the zero, uh, what is it called? The zero, zero, rating, zero rating zero schemes rating. Yeah. is that those opportunities are available to everyone, the small video producers and the crackers of the world and stuff like that, um, because they have dappled in that a little bit. But Dieter, yeah. continue. You're about to say no, something. No, I was just like, the, the one of the vibes at this whole conference is like, everybody knows that we are not going to get reasonable, like, debates about regulation in our current political climate yeah there's there's just going to be all regulation is evil and if you ask for regulation you're a communist and then everybody else is going ah no please regulate no you're evil ah no i mean you must regulate or else and like it gets polarized really bad badly um but steve case who founded aol is doing this thing where he is trying to get like money and entrepreneurs out of Silicon Valley and like out into the, you know, middle America into the rest of the country. Um, and that's you know, very admirable. But he said this thing where he was like, look, the government isn't going to go away. We should have some kind of like reasonable solution and we're not anywhere near it. And in the meantime, like if you want to start a little company out in the middle of the country, there, you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, he didn't explicitly say that, but like, Netflix piecing out of fighting for net neutrality. Uh, all the other big companies, Google, Apple, yeah. Microsoft, they're not piecing out, but they're like everybody basically knows that uh, Title II is going to go away and nobody knows if anything's going to replace it. And everybody's just sort of assuming that like, it's gone. Guy from Time Warner, um, Jeff Bukas, Jeff Bukas yeah. basically said that. Yeah. Um, what's her name from CBS? Sherry Redstone. Sherry Redstone. Yeah, I'm I listened to every single yeah. session. They so. all basically <laughs> said the same thing, which is like, yeah, no, we're just going to, like, we're not going to have any of this These are masters stuff. of the universe. Like, yeah. I, I don't want to underplay, like, the code lineup is not yeah. mid-level people. These, like, Sherry Redstone is the primary shareholder of Viacom and CBS, yeah. right? Like, she runs them. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Bukas is the CEO of Time Warner. He's selling his company in AT&T yep. because he's like, the timing is right um, for me to just, like, he sold everything. 
Yeah. Like he took over Time Warner and he literally sold every part of it. He sold Time Warner Cable. He sold AOL. He's like, well, I got one thing left. I'm yeah. Out. But like they weren't even strenuously arguing, oh, no, get rid of these regulations are bad for us. And uh, we'll be we're going to be good when they go away. We really need them to go away to save us. And uh, don't worry when they're gone. We're going to be we're going to like do the right thing. They're basically saying, yeah, they're gone. Um but they're going to be gone in a minute, and no, it'll be yeah. fine. There's We're a like, lot of shrugging. Going there's a lot on. of shrugging, and, and a lot of like who make yeah. the decisions that and they're, 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 they either have nefarious plans or they're like, you know, like everybody is so like losing their minds over like how fast technology is changing and like, what Trump is doing. That like the idea that anybody's going to like be able to pay enough attention to do anything nefarious in the next six months when the regulations go away. Well, I think there's also it's a like, sense that if you are one of these masters of the universe, like part of your responsibility is to just be calm. Yeah. Right. And like you, there was, I, I got a lot of that sense. Like, look, there's not even incentives for us to do the bad thing. Um, you know, com full disclosure, Comcast and Beast Universal, big investor in Vox Media. They're a big sponsor of code. A bunch of their people are here. They left uh, a bag full of minion I Junk. ate the Skittles that Comcast left in my room. <laughs> yeah. Fine, Gamergate, come and at me. And a Fast and Furious toy car. Yeah. <laughs> Eli ate uh, that too. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was delicious. Uh, whatever. Um, but the, you know they're 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 here, and I, I was just talking to some of them. I won't name names or whatever. But the 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 foundation of that conversation was: Look, we're not doing it now. We don't want to do it in the future. It doesn't make sense. And we we're happy to like go to Congress and pass a law yeah. that says the things that you want that says no blocking, no throttling, no whatever. Um, the mobile guys have a little bit of a different. I was talking to somebody who runs a small wireless access company, uh, and he's like, "It doesn't even. It's not even in anyone's best interest to do this. Like, we want you to use more data. That's how we all make our money. That's the that's the game we're playing, and the wireless carriers in particular." The big danger is actually not the net neutrality stuff. It's the caps and the cap system that they're imposing because they know as cord cutting goes down and people stream more and more 4K, they can predict to some reasonable level of accuracy exactly when you're going to start maximizing your cap in your house and they're going to move you on to another more expensive payment structure. And he's like, pay attention to that. It was That was like a wild conversation. I mean, that sounds totally true to me. Yeah, but it was one of those, like, they're hiding the ball, like 12-dimensional yeah. chess conversations. Yeah. Um, but, like, there is that sense of just calm. Like, it's going to, you're going to hate it and it's going to be bad, but we promise we're not going to do this stuff. Well, it's, to me, like, you're right. It's a sense of calm, but it's also just a sense of inevitability. Like, we have been at the verge, like, sort of like, I don't know, psyching ourselves up for like, all right, time to call the FCC and fight this thing and see if we can stop this from happening. And like literally nobody here uh, is like, they're already, they've already assumed that fight is over and they're like moving on to the next thing. And the next thing for them is like, nah, shrug. But like they, nobody was trying to convince anybody uh, to like have a debate about whether or not the FCC should change the rules around net neutrality. They're just so, assuming they're, they're going to get You know, it's interesting and this is really wonky and we don't have to like spend a lot of time on it, but Ajit Pai legally has to not have his mind made up right now. Right, right, right. right. He's got to ask for comment on his proposals, accept the comments, deliberate, and then, like, pass a thing. And, like, ideally the FCC passed, like, a unanimous thing. But it, everyone here is like, well, they're going to do it. Yeah. So, like, it's it, the legal challenge that is coming in part will be a lot of evidence that the industry believes that their regulator is already has his mind made up and this process is a sham. So that's a weird opening that he's left open. 
a weird opening that he's left open. It's very, it's very, it's early in the day here, but it's been a long few days. <laughs> um, I want to segue that actually into Clinton because it's obviously the verge. We're not, she talked about a lot of things, Yeah. but this sense of we're the masters of the universe and we have to remain calm was bookended by Hillary Clinton on stage here. And her, whatever you think of Trump, just their styles are radically different. And Hillary's style is like complete mastery of the issues. Like she just knows the information inside and out. She speaks very carefully and very forcefully. And then Trump is like, Kofifi. She comes across as uh, very competent. Yeah. Yeah. Then like I talked to a bunch of people here and they're like, we don't like her, but she seems so smart. Yeah. And there's like that yearning for someone who you can have like a very principled intellectual argument with. Um, but she talked about some things here uh, that I think are like major verge stories, actually. One, she said the Russians had to be guided by Americans and how they quote unquote weaponized information. Yeah. So when she was like, she has this whole like explanation of what her take is on the email leaks. Yeah. And like, uh, there's a whole like chain of logic. And you, yeah, you like wrote a timeline essentially. Yeah. She's basically you know, got the, a timeline. The, the, when it, um, sorry. I'm like, blah, 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 yeah. I'm really quite tired. Uh, with <laughs> Go on some diet I know, and I, you know. It's funny. I'm pretty sure if you went back and listened to last year's Vergecast episode, the night we did uh, the code conference <laughs> one, I was like not making any sense then either. Uh, but she, uh, she did, um, she went through, for example, she said within an hour after the access Hollywood tapes were leaked, uh, that's when uh, the Podesta emails were yeah, dropped. Right. And so she points out a couple of she you sounded know, like a prosecutor examples. laying out her theory a of the case. case. Yeah. Essentially. And like yeah. her, her core contention, sort of the thing that was new is her saying, look, the Russians, there's no way that they could be like smart enough on their own and be plugged in enough on their own to know when it would be most effective to dump some of these leaks that they dumped. Well, it was it's like one little more tech and culture turn past it. Right. She's like. She said some crazy things about the yeah. Democratic National oh, Committee being oh. bankrupt. But she was like, we built this uh, operation for Obama yeah. that was oh, all about whole that. voter turnout. Wait, wait, and I, I, I need targeting. to get into that, but I, yeah. I want one last thing on the, the Russia thing. Mm -hmm. um, she pointed out that the there was nothing really interesting in the emails. Yeah. And she called them, Lauren? She called them anodyne and what was it? A nothing, nothing, nothing burger. burger. Oh, yeah, she called it a nothing burger. Yes. That was one of the first things she said when she came out on stage. And uh, it was they got right into it, and she said, "Really, the, you know, the emails were the biggest the, the nothing whole thing burger was, of all it was time. The biggest, it was the biggest nothing burger of all time, and ultimately, it was what made her, you know, start to it, what made her start to lose ground in yeah. the end. After one of there was another release at the end of October. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, but I just loved that she used yeah. that word. Lauren lost her mind. It was great. That's yeah. Lauren's word. Anyway, sorry. Anyway, Burn but no, she had this whole theory that was, you know, the email. She called it the press covered it like Pearl Harbor, but. What was more interesting to me was she talked about the Democrats had this whole data operation. She basically threw it on the bus and was like, it was garbage and no one invested in it. And I had to fund it myself. And I wrote the PHP by hand. They're using like, a was, Packard Bell. Yeah, it was like real 386 crazy. computer. <laughs> what was going on? I got, I got in there and fixed it. Everything that Obama did on the internet yeah. was garbage. Um, and, yeah. But then her, she's like, in contrast, the Republican Party, because they have a lot of billionaires who own media companies, also, like their operation was also like right wing content farms, yeah, and like spamming fake news out in the world, and like mm -hmm. local, like Sinclair buying local news operations, and like 
managing content as well as like voter registration data, which is what the Democrats are really up to. Yeah. So like her, her basic like narrative is like, we came in and used technology to like get out the vote and like, you know, send our message and like get flyers and blah, 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 blah. And like not defensive, but like essentially like get out the vote and the Republican machine used it like explicitly for like attack in a way that mm-hmm. nobody on the democratic side had thought to do. Right. Yeah. Targeted false news. Yeah. Or just targeted. Like, yeah. I mean, I, like, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's a whole range of things. Right. But there's like a, this media operation, which is fundamentally interesting to me because it's a media operation enabled by the internet and hilariously enabled to an enormous degree by open platforms and net neutrality, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're Comcast, you could just throttle the fake news and make it go away, but they can't because of the rules. So, like, it all comes around full circle. Like, right. we build the world's biggest open information system. We can't assume, like, it won't be used in this way. So okay. her, her whole thing was this machine existed, and then these Russian hacks happened and the machine was ready and waiting to yeah. quote unquote weaponize that information. I thought that was just is a theory of the case. Like I'm pretty sure she was just like reading the first few chapters of her book on stage. Like she was prepped. I talked to some people who had dinner with her like earlier and they're like, this was basically the same thing she said at dinner. So like she's obviously like, this is an argument that she's going to be making repeatedly. Um, and you know, there's, I'm sure you're, Deep into politics, there's all kinds of other podcasts that will answer the question or endlessly dissect whether she should have apologized more, like whatever. But her thing was, this is an unprecedented combination of like foreign hacking into our country and then how the media structure of our country has developed. Technological forces and social. Yeah. Yeah. And those things are to me are just like ultimately fascinating Mm -hmm. because you could make the argument right now in this country that we should get rid of net neutrality and all of our internet providers should do a better job of like locking down the flow of information. She actually, I don't think that's a good argument. She explicitly asked Facebook and Twitter to do that. Yep. Yeah. That was her thing. She's like, they need to figure out how to moderate these platforms better. Yeah. Um, which, which seems super unlikely, but it, it does. I mean, not that they can't do it any better, but that they can get a handle on this yeah. right now. I mean, they're, it's a very difficult problem. I mean, the thing that I just thought about sitting there listening to her describe what you just described, Neil, I was like, how does any of this get better? Yeah. Like it, it seems just so tricky and, you know, while I'm sure there will be, um, you know, new uh, defenses that uh, candidates put up in the next elections, uh, the Russians have learned a ton from this election. And, yeah. and so it really is going to be this kind of new uh, information arms race. And it's terrifying to me. Yeah. That's why we should get rid of net neutrality. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't believe that. But it's it's part of the argument, right? Like, if you really want whatever company to be more accountable for the information that it delivers you could make them do that. Yeah. And that is terrifying, but it's, it's kind of like, should she have spent more? That was my question. Should she have spent more time in Wisconsin? Like probably yes too, right? Like acknowledge Mm -hmm. this other thing, but I thought it was really interesting. And it, it, to me, it's part of the story of this election that will just continue growing and growing and growing because she is obviously going to be making that case really loudly for a long time. Mm -hmm. But the, the part of the answer to why wasn't she in Wisconsin is, also, uh, like enmeshed in technology, like their right. data told them don't need to do it. Uh, and their data was wrong. And they also like, she also had a whole, uh, you know, a bunch of other stuff, but, but like fundamentally, like looking at the intersection of tech and politics, the, 
the sort of like advantages and disadvantages that Republicans and Democrats have right now are fascinating. So Republicans, um, there's a there's a book called Rat Fucked that's about gerrymandering. Mm-hmm. Uh, after they lost, after Republicans lost big, and I think '08, um, they were like, "Oh wait, but the census is coming," and so they took the census and used used the data from the census, and they aggressively like fought to get into state houses. And then they won state houses, which meant that they could draw the districts, which gave them an entrenched advantage in Congress. And the Democrats are just nowhere on that right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, that's one Republican. Literally, it's a technology advantage. They have like specific software that was designed to learn how to draw districts better to like give the incumbent advantage. And the Democrats are like ah, ah. Mm-hmm. and so like how like. It's, I don't know, we, we talk about machine learning all the time and like how like the computers are getting smarter and they can win an alpha go and blah, 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 blah. But like the computers are getting smarter and there's algorithms that can take data that's complicated and it will do like the number crunching and the synthesis to like give you the real world results you want. Like it is happening all around us in ways that we're not like acknowledging enough. Yeah. And like specifically with like drawing district lines and yeah. call it yeah. gerrymandering if you want. Cause that's like, that's the word. <laughs> um, but like the, the idea that like the methodology that you apply tech to is different across these two parties and like they're trying to learn from each other and whatever, but like one is applying it to like content and drawing district lines. And the other one is applying it to like get out the vote and like organizing protests, right? Like those are radically different strategies and they have radically different real world effects. And it's simply like knowing and thinking of what a clever use of applying an algorithm it would be. There's a lot to learn right now from this blueprint that she she's making essentially and maybe her book will get more into it and Neil I you know you mentioned earlier like I'm sure there are plenty of people and podcasts who will dissect like her demeanor or how she seems right now in the six months after the election but at the end of the day she has information that can be incredibly valuable to her party going forward and so she's putting it out there um and uh you know, it's like Mark Andreessen was also on stage at one point and made a really good point and said, you know, like, why would the people who voted for Donald Trump in this election at this point suddenly think, oh, yeah, next time I, I should vote for a Democratic president again? Because right now everyone's paying attention to the problems that mm-hmm. have surfaced throughout the country, you know, and so it's going to be like for the Democratic Party, it will be an uphill battle and especially battling these like sort of weaponized technological I mean, one of her forces. solutions was like, this is a room full of billionaires. All of you should buy local TV stations. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, she just said it out loud. There's a lot of talk of that. Like, yeah. Yeah. like will Lorraine Powell Jobs buy the New York Times? Like, yeah. hey, you all have money. Go go buy the media. Yeah. Recode right. is... Uh, yeah. Straight up. That yeah. It came up, like, several times at the conference. Yeah. Was- Re- Recode.net has a running list of everybody who said they're not running for president uh, here. <laughs> yes. Which is hilarious. Yeah. Pretty great. It's yeah. a big topic. All right. That's enough politics, except for the next segment. We'll probably get into more politics. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to read an ad and then we're going to have a little lightning round and we'll wrap this thing up. This episode of Vergecast also brought to you by Tile. Look at that. If you've lost Wisconsin, for example, <laughs> just whole put state. a Tile on it. It's a little Bluetooth tracker. It'll tell you where it is and you can go to it. It's great. Now, <laughs> it's not the ad. What if you can find anything in seconds? Now with Tile, the tiny Bluetooth tracker that makes finding things easier than ever. You just attach Tile to your keys, wallet, laptop, even your bike, anything you don't want to lose, and finding things becomes super easy. Just open the free Tile app on your phone to see your lost item on the map, then quickly find your item by making your Tile ring, and it'll be back in your hands in seconds. And if it's your phone that's gone missing, you just double press the Tile to make the phone ring, even if the phone's in silent. Tile finds two million lost items every single day, so join the million who's used Tile to help find their lost stuff and get it one today at gettile.com. That's gettile, 
Mm-hmm. Slash Verge, you save up to 30% per tile if you buy a multi-pack, and you get free shipping. And because tile makes the perfect gift, for a limited time, you get a free gift box with a multi-pack order. So go to gettile.com slash Verge. Buy a tile, find everything. Also visit Wisconsin Slope. Side note about Wisconsin. Uh, so Neil, I did stand up and ask Hillary Clinton a question about uh, Wisconsin campaign in Wisconsin. And, uh, and after that, I witnessed multiple people <laughs> just walk by Neil in the hallway and go, Wisconsin, because he prefaced it by saying I'm from Wisconsin. Cool so, then he just, so I think, yeah. yeah, I got another note from, uh, Lockhart Steel because Hillary answered the question. It was a long answer, very detailed. And she preferenced one, prefaced one of the parts of her answer with, since you're from Wisconsin, you'll find this interesting. And Lockhart Steel, our company, sent me a slack and he said, from now on, I will literally begin every time I address you by saying, since you're from Wisconsin, you might find this interesting. And yes, Lockhart Steel is a real person. Yeah. That yeah. is his name. Uh, he's Lock Steel. He's an AI. <laughs> he's just a very dapper AI. He's the, he's the color of a phone. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, Lockhart's a good phone caller. Yeah. Anyway, a bunch of stuff, odds and ends to wrap up. Dieter, you are going to review the Chromebook Pro. You had one. I have it. I have it with me right now. So I'll tell you. And I try to use it. We, Dieter and I are, are staying in the same villa. We have a villa. Casey is staying in the, in the tower at our villa in the, in, the, in the monk's cabin. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, the princess suite, as we call it. Uh, it's like the tower. Um, but I watched Dieter come into our villa. We were like sitting in the living room. He opens his Chromebook Pro. He's like, I really like this. I won't say the score. He was like about to publish a review with the score. Yeah, the whole thing away. was written. We were putting the score in. We're getting fun. He was like, photos. I think I'm going to give it a higher score. And like a day later, what you've actually published are the words, don't buy the Chromebook Pro. Yeah. What happened there? Uh, so the story with Chrome OS is that they're trying to get Android apps running on it. If you listen to Vergecast, I'm sure you've heard me complain about this. But the Android apps are in beta. And the way that the Android apps run on Chrome OS, it's not like there's like an embedded Android phone inside the thing. They like are like tied into the OS and that can make the OS a little bit unstable. And so the the solution is don't do that. Don't use them. Just use it as a Chromebook because you can do Chromebook stuff. You can open web apps and it's great. And so I had some crashes in the first couple of days I was using it, but I was like, oh, it's because Android. So I'm going to stop using Android apps, reboot the thing, and then I won't crash. It'll be fine. So I did that and everything seemed fine, and then it super wasn't. It huh. was just like, you know when Chrome runs out of memory, it's like, oh, snap! Like, yeah. every single app window and tab was like, oh, snap, all the time once I hit more than like 10 or 12 tabs. Um, so I told, asked Google, what what's the story? They're like, we're gonna fix it. They're like, when? They're like, soon. I was like, well, the thing is being sold to people right now, so yeah, I'm gonna tell them that, <laughs> that it's broken, uh, and that's what I did. Uh, but like the the problem with like the advice to don't use Android apps on a Chromebook is like this Chromebook comes with a stylus, and when you pull the stylus out, a little thing pops up that's like draw on the screen, and that like brings you to an it's Android keep, app. Right? It brings you to Google Keep, yeah. and so like the core feature of the thing involves a thing that makes it unstable. Uh, but it's also yeah. unstable on its own. So anyway, I do intend on reviewing this thing. I also intend on reviewing it when Android apps come out of beta in like three months. Like I'm going to have reviewed this thing like eight times but by the time it's all over. Um, but for right now, until uh, I tell you or somebody tells you that they have issued a update to Chrome OS to resolve these stability issues, uh, I would not buy it. Well, thanks for ruining Father's Day, Dieter. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, you could grads. buy it if you trust that they're going to do it. Dads and grads are pissed off Dads right and now. grads have a bone to I mean, I, I trust that Google will fix it. And I trust that when they fix it, this thing will be good. But I don't trust it so far that I would recommend that people go out and spend $550 on based on that assumption. Well, it's miserable timing. Because yeah. next week is WWDC. Yep. And suddenly the whispers have increased that something is happening to the iPad to make it more computer-like. We yeah. obviously don't know what that is. And there's also Windows 10s. Yeah. Right. Like there's a. I, I wrote this article like I don't know a month ago. There's a confluence of like take these managed operating systems that you can't mess around with, and that way they're more secure and they're updated more often, and like level them up just enough that they could actually replace a Mac or a PC. Like that's what that's what these three companies are trying to do. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> Google was was first and they just fell on their face <laughs> well we'll see um z2 play came out yeah i just want to do a little pour one out moment the droid brand at verizon appears to be gone that's oh. fine is it fine it's great the, i i never liked the droid brand after they released those incredibly misogynistic commercials at the uh, launch of the original droid yeah it's like you're a man you like yeah. You like manly things. You should get a droid because the iPhone is for girls. It was they hired like a fake Dennis Leary. Yeah, <laughs> just a dude like Dennis Leary. Bits. They they literally had they had this like you know flashing like give you a seizure commercial where like just crazy scenes happening all the time and like yeah. it was like a fighter plane shooting off into the sky and then an explosion and like just bam 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 and then the droid appears but if you slow it down and watch it one of the scenes in this crazy seizure inducing you know commercial was literally um a banana hitting a female mannequin in the face <laughs> like what yeah it was a different what very recent time Good God. Yeah, all of I that mean, marketing. There's we symbolism, to, and then there's like, come on. We used to tear apart those commercials on this show. So R.I.P. Like droid. Yeah. Um, droid. Droid. Uh, I do miss that sound. But for but a long really. time, that was the dominant Android. That's like, what people called Android. Oh, you have a droid. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird that that has just phased in and out of our culture, and it's just over. Yeah. What do Android phone owners call their phones these days if not androids, droids. just androids they, they call i have a samsung i have a galaxy maybe no one says i have a galaxy i have a, I have an I have android a galaxy? I don't have a galaxy. yeah <laughs> right so you never because say it <laughs> <laughs> we're talking to engineer austin by thank the you way. you proved my point <laughs> yeah, exactly well if you here's what i want you to do if you have an android phone think in your head what you say and then tweet that at backlog oh god damn it <laughs> Do it. Just do it. People we say want no. a if, well, if it's a Google phone, they just say they have a Nexus or a Pixel. Yeah. But it's all, I guess it's all the other ones that get a little bit. People don't say like I have a Mate Eight. When somebody who knows nothing, <laughs> when somebody who knows nothing about phones walks up to you and says, "What kind of phone is that?" What do you say? Yeah. Right. You don't want to get in a whole conversation with them. You don't want to, you know, agitate. Yeah. Because you for don't whatever. like them very much. Yeah. You just want to be like, "Oh, I have a blah." I think people say Samsung. I have a Samsung. I don't know. Anyway, tweet it all back on. Casey, this one's for you. Yeah. This is just your moment. Right. Skype has been redesigned. Oh, boy. <laughs> and it's getting stories. As you know, if you've downloaded any app that has any social feature in 2017, stories are the new thing. Ephemeral collections of pictures and videos that disappear 24 hours after you posted them. Of course, pioneered by uh, Snapchat. Uh, gloriously ripped off by Instagram and then the rest of Facebook's product suite. Uh, and it's now just started to pop up everywhere. Uh, Medium sort of has a version of stories, believe it or not, if you haven't seen those. But so yeah, so Skype, 
has now uh, announced today in a blog post that they are redesigning the app, uh, rebuilt it from the ground up. It's now going to be a way to share every part of your day. And so, of course, that is going to include stories, Skype stories. I really love when there's a utility that everyone uses for just one thing, which is very easy, fast video chatting. And the company decides, you know what this really needs? stories like this needs something that is completely i'm gonna use the word again non-essential to the core functionality of what this thing does i literally think of scott i don't even think of it for video chat it's how we call people for podcasts yeah it's it's like the default calling service on the internet like it's it's achieved that level where i can just ask right. virtually anyone you want to be on the podcast what's your skype and yep. there's always an answer when i go on other people's podcasts when you have people on your podcast lauren i'm sure it's you Skype. just say, what's your Skype? Skype. And every, it's not like a question. It's not like install yeah. it. You're not sending out instructions. It's that or international calls. Yeah. It's pretty much. Yeah. Um, but now it's, you got to look now at it's the stories. UI. The UI looks insanity. It's pretty wild. I'm actually disappointed that I can't just use it right now. Like apparently the, the new uh, iOS app isn't going to come out for a, a month or more. Uh, but yeah, it does look pretty wild. I, I think it's, um, if you're looking at it strategically, I think you would do this for the same reason that WhatsApp introduced stories, which is it's popular internationally, places where Snapchat does not uh, have a big user base. So I actually do think for a lot of Skype users, uh, this probably will be their first introduction to stories. I think the question is, are any of them going to use it? And, and results have been very mixed. Uh, WhatsApp says that actually already more people are using WhatsApp every day than are, are using Snapchat, uh, just for the stories feature alone. Uh, but then you can look inside the Facebook app and almost nobody is using stories. Yeah. So you just kind of never know. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if this is like empirically true. The main Facebook app has gotten incredibly slow lately. Yeah. Have you oh, noticed? Yeah. It's like they've, they've definitely taken their eye off the ball of just the core, literally the core yeah. product that they make. Well, like look at the size of the updates. I mean, they're like three, 400 megabytes each. They're packed full of AR filters and God knows what kind of advertising spyware. So yeah, they're big, juicy apps. <laughs> just the right squeeze them. The just squeeze those apps and they no. just drip. They're just dripping with social. I really, I really want this to stop. <laughs> I can't. I can't communicate enough how uncomfortable this makes me and how much I want it to stop. <laughs> I hope in their next app release notes they say you know bug fixes and juicier <laughs> just for Casey Pumped full of oh, juice God, it's still going <laughs> they're very they're very moist oh god they're full of juice I want to die oh no you did not just use I did. the m word sorry <laughs> anyway uh Bixby everyone's favorite oh. Andy Rubin had a nice burn of what was it, it Bixby was a and Cortana a burn Walt was like talking about assistance on stage and he was like, blah, 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 blah. And he goes, I didn't mention Bixby or Cortana. And Andy Rubin goes, thank you for not mentioning that. Yeah. Uh, but Bixby is delayed. Because it can't understand English. Which is, yeah. yeah, I mean, they're presumably they made it understand Korean first because they're yeah. a Korean company. Um, my whole thing is but like. But they're shipping the phone with a button that launches the thing that doesn't work. The button. Like, yeah, exactly. Duh. Dedicated Shouldn't button. have put a button on it. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, or was, just yeah. release update that lets you remap the button. Yeah, all the all the apps that let you remap the button now they're basically Bixby hacks. So it launches Bixby and then it, and then it launches the thing you want. And some of them are pretty quick, but like every now and then you'll hit it and be like, eh. but like you, you're using an essay. Yeah, and I would say one out of ten times I pull my phone out of pocket, I accidentally hit the Bixby button and I look at the Bixby screen and like it hasn't updated. And so like I just look at my phone. And it's like, ah, how do I get out of this? Oh, look, Steve Bannon is trending. <laughs> <laughs> Bixby, 
the dog that makes you feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, I literally, just, what I uh, a negative emotion puppy is like a weird, I, it was puppy. like a dog butler, and now it's just this like bad news. Um, <laughs> bad news. Anyway, it's not big. I was just trying to come up with other words for dogs, but I don't, I'm not classically improv trained. Like you see. <laughs> uh, Leave this to the professional. would like to recommend that I install a um, a moon theme. It would like me to know that uh, today's weather is loading. <laughs> um, it, um, it, uh, the Paris Agreement is trending right now, of course. Yes. Um, and yeah, that, that, that's happening uh, in real time as we're recording this, right? I have never, ever in my entire life, either in person or on the internet, indicated any sort of interest in hockey, despite the fact that I live in Minnesota. But they really want me to know that there's a dude who plays for the Penguins that's really quiet. <laughs> Thanks, Bixby. 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 All right. Last one. Lauren, this one's for you. Oh, okay. Mark Gurman had his little, like a one sentence scoop that Apple's Siri speaker is in production. In production. Someone at this conference told me that Apple's been working on this idea and fits and starts for no fewer than six years. Wow. Um, can't verify it. It's one of those bar type conversations but in production they're in the market do you think they're gonna you think this is you think we're gonna see a wwc you think they're gonna make a big splash or they're gonna have it under what do you think side note to that siri has been around for six years so that means right because it launched in 2011 so that means that if this speaker has been in production for six years that like the moment siri launched apple was thinking about it in hardware form other than um like an ios device well it it was fits and starts I don't, yeah, I don't think they've been working starts. on whatever they're going to do. I don't think they've been. I don't think Johnny Ive has been chiseling away at a block of Luna for six years. <laughs> Maybe he has been. Maybe it's going to be the most perfect speaker yet. <laughs> um, uh, but or most amazing. That's what yeah. I'm looking for. Unapo- unapologetically. Speaker. Speaker. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here's my thing. Do I think that uh, if Apple introduces a speaker that like people will run out and buy it? Absolutely. I think they will. I mean, I think there are a lot of Apple fans and iPhone users obviously out there in the world and enough so that people would be willing to give this a chance, especially people that maybe haven't invested yet in an Amazon Echo or a Google Home. Um, But I do think more so maybe than with other, and this is just my opinion right now, and it could morph like many times in the next few years as voice control uh, becomes even more prevalent. But I do think that voice more than um, devices that we, like other devices that we use in our everyday life, uh, our everyday lives is something that like once you're sort of hooked into one system, it's very hard to also hook into another. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in my apartment right now, because I'm a nerd, I have, you know, uh, Amazon Echo, I have uh, Google Home. Um, I'm I'm guessing those are only the only real like voice control things, but then the lights I have are uh, a Lutron kit that is compatible with HomeKit, right? So I've got like a few different like voice things going on at home, and I gotta tell, it's just a pain. Like yeah. you just kind of want to talk to one. Once you start saying, okay, set a timer, okay, turn off the lights, okay, change the, you know, I want to watch this programming on the TV. You want, I don't know, it just seems like it's. You just want it to be unified. You don't want that kind of fragmentation when it comes to voice. So I think the one challenge that Apple may have is just if there are people who are really already sort of hooked into Amazon's Alexa and that seems to be doing the job for them, then I'm not sure what the value proposition is for them to add another speaker to that setup Right at this time. I mean, it, it would have to be really good. I mean, look, you, Siri in this moment cannot play Spotify. 
right? So, t- like, in- unless uh, this speaker comes along with much better third-party integrations than they have historically been willing to let Siri make, I think it's dead on arrival. Interesting. That's like, uh, that's a, I don't know. I, I think that it they they're gonna have a minute uh, that like they'll have a few more integrations that'll be fine. But what they're going to do is they're going to get on stage and say you can get an Alexa that is made by Amazon and who knows what Amazon is doing. They're trying to sell you stuff. You can get a Google Home and nobody trusts Google, or you can get the Siri speaker. We tr- we protect your privacy. Yes, privacy here's our will, magical system yeah. that like doesn't even connect it to the internet till the microphone recognizes your voice. You know whatever the hell it right. is. Like That's, just yeah. just saying we are the speaker that protects your privacy they're just going to say that over and over and over again and the thing will no be matter beautiful. no matter what the, if the thing can tell you the weather and set an alarm yeah. they'll sell it and not for nothing the echo is not like a beautiful device by any stretch of the imagination no yeah. and it's not a good speaker and it's not a good speaker yeah well the, that's the other thing is this the, apparently they're going to do the thing that sonos does where like you like put it in a room and it like makes a bunch of noise and listens for the the sound bouncing around the room and then it tunes itself to the room that's cool that's uh, the most annoying process I go through with any audio device in my house. Like literally my wife is like, are you going to do the thing? Cause I need to leave. <laughs> um, Cause it just makes a lot of chirping sounds at you. Um, th- they said it was gonna have seven speakers in it or something that was in the Bloomberg report. But when Apple has done these other platforms, you know what like can play Spotify. It's like the iPhone, like it's there when you plug a- an iPhone into CarPlay, Spotify is there. Right. So they're right. not completely blind to the fact that these other things exist. Right. I just think like Siri has traditionally been underpowered. I think Apple is coming in a little bit late. I mean, I'm being, I'm probably being a little bit too negative. I agree with you guys. I think that yes, it will have a certain base. Uh, and yes, privacy will, uh, help them sell a decent number of them. Um, but like, let's also look at the broader market. Like Alexa is really on a tear. Uh, it has a lot of developer support already. Um, it's probably going to be a, a lot cheaper than the, than the Apple device. Right. It's the, the dot is like, they, they're it's selling like for $40. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So these are all good things. Yeah. We'll see. WC is next week. It is. Lauren, be a party. And Lauren and Dieter are going to be there. Yep. Dick Hashnack is going to be there. I'm going to be live vlogging from New York. Yep. So I'll be in New York for a variety of reasons. Walt might show up. Walt yeah, might Walt's going to be there. Yeah, he's uh, probably right. makes crack some jokes in the live blog. So, yes, stay tuned. A lot of news and Casey coming. Newton. Yeah. Will you be cracking uh, jokes in the live I blog as well? I will absolutely be cracking jokes. Amazing. <laughs> Casey's only job. Yeah. <laughs> is there a live vlog? Will you yes. be offering your searing insights? Yes, and then okay. responding to people on Twitter saying, why are there so many bad jokes in this? Yeah. Just give me the facts. It's because you can watch the <laughs> fucking stream yourself. That's why. That's what I tell them. <laughs> uh, no, we love you, and we want you to join our live blog. I didn't mean to swear at you. The feeling is mutual. Twitter person. <laughs> um, also, June 9th, which is next week, I believe. Yeah. Walt Mossberg. Yep. Last episode of Control-Alt-Delete. Live. Live. In New York. From the School of Visual Arts with Dieter Bone is going to be up. there. It's going to be great. Walt had, look, here's the thing. Walt had his send off here. There was an emotional moment. Um, Dick Hoslow interviewed Walt, which was amazing. I, I encourage everybody to go watch that video. It was really fun. There's a really wild story about Steve Jobs and iTunes for Windows that was told. Yeah. A wild story about, uh, I'm going to say all four of these words Bill Gates, Taco Bell. <laughs> Just like, go listen to that. It was great. But that was Walt's send off to like his audience of billionaires and tech CEOs. I am very happy that the last thing that he's doing with us is a room full of his readers and listeners because that's those are his people. Uh, so that's June 9th. We'll obviously have it out afterwards, but if you're in New York, there's still some tickets left. 
somewhere under 100 tickets left, I want to say. Uh, yeah. It might, might be under 50 at this I point. Think it's, 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 down, it's like fast. 50 or so left. Yeah. Um, but come out. We'd love to see you. Um, you can hang out with Walt. There's like a whole thing. So June 9th, Lauren has a podcast. You want to plug your podcast? Yes. It's called Too Embarrassed to Ask, and it's in the same place as you found this podcast. It's with Kara Swisher, the executive editor of Recode, and uh, the person who, uh, I don't know, just kind of hounds Silicon Valley tech executives the most of anybody that I know. Um, and it's really fun, and we try to answer all the questions you have about tech. This week, we have a very special episode. So when is the Vergecast airing? It's tomorrow? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Okay, great. So I'm going to spoil the surprise right now. Um, <laughs> tomorrow's episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask, Friday's episode, is uh, with the one and only Walt Mossberg. It's kind of a send-off episode. And, uh, you know, usually we take questions from people online who just ask, you know, hey, Walt, what, what laptop should I buy and that sort of thing or whatever it might be. In this case, we got questions from, oh, I don't know, you know, Cheryl Sandberg and Mark Cuban, Jack Dorsey, uh, Susan Wojcicki of YouTube, Bill Gates, uh, and a few others who sent in their questions to Walt and he was very surprised and he has some really great answers. Oh, that's so you'll definitely want to listen. I love that. It was that's really, really fun. Cool. And he, and actually he does tell the Taco Bell story there as well. I mean, <laughs> it's never gonna, it's Walt's legacy, Taco Bell. Kara Swisher, speaking of which, hosts Recode Decode, which is wonderful. And my favorite, the nerdiest of the podcast, Peter Kafka's Recode Media. Uh, and if you have a chance to go and watch all the videos, the interviews on stage from the Code Conference, I really encourage you to do it. Peter and Kara are just incredible interviewers and the whole show was great. So if you want to watch the CEO of Time Warner squirm in his chair, Peter Kafka can deliver that experience to you. Uh, but that's it for us. It, I love doing the show with you guys here. As tired and loopy as we are in this opulent ballroom, uh, it was a great week here. And we'll be back next week. That's right, with WWDC with, stuff. With WWC yes. news and then obviously the live control out delete. Uh, and that's it. That's a rich chest. Rock and roll. Snip, snip. Paul. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>